Galatians chapter 5. The title screen that you can see here is really salt and light. We're called to be salt in this world, light, and, and we're to, salt has this preservative, cleansing effect upon the world. That's what the church is supposed to be. We're also to be the, the light, as Jesus was the light that came into the world. The world needs to see that light. But if the salt, going back to salt, is, is no longer good, it's tasteless, it's, it's worthless. The scripture says in a, in a paraphrase, and sometimes that's what the church has come. It, it has no effect upon the world around them and the devil, and the devil comes to kill, steal, and destroy. We know that. And one of the things he wants to rob you of more than anything else is really, and I already kind of mentioned this word, identity. Your identity of who you are in Christ. Because if you really know who you are in Christ, you will live this life differently. If you know that you're going one day to be with the Lord, that you're going to go to heaven, and it's reality, you not just in your mind, but in your heart, then, then you will live this life differently. And the actions, the words that you and I speak, they will be light and they will be salt. That's what God's called us to do. In fact, when we go through the book of Ephesians, and that will be after Easter, when we, we get into there, one of the things that we're going to be talking about is who we are in Christ and, and how the enemy comes to steal that identity. And when, again, we know, and it's going to be looking at the church, we are the church, we will begin to live as a church and function as a church in this community. Well, again, you're in, um, again, Galatians chapter 5, Look with me again at verse 26 is actually where we're going to start. And as we go into our text today, we're, we're going to be looking really at the believers that are in Galatia. Now remember, they were legalist. They were judgmental. In fact, we had saw the deeds of the flesh and those who practice such things or habitually do those things will not enter the kingdom of God. And then we went to, if you remember, the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is singular. Remember that, it's love. And all those other things describe what love was like. And then as we come to verse 26, notice what it says. Let us not become vainglorious, one another or being glorious of one another provoking one another and one another envying now i used a literal translation here king james will follow that same thing and and that's going to be our our key thought is one another see what christians do is esteem others higher than one another that if we are operating in the flesh the deeds in the flesh then we're only thinking about self we're self-centered and and this is going to be the battle that we're going to see because we're going to learn what it means really to discipline another brother how do we deal with a, a, a sinning brother and and what we want to do is restore him what is that process of restoring a sinning brother well certainly it's going to be with the fruit of the spirit that's what God is going to use. Let's open in prayer. Father, 
we ask again for your spirit to bring illumination to our hearts, just as you are the light. Turn on the lights, Lord, that everything makes sense, that we come to that understanding of of knowing who you are and, Lord, how you would have us live our lives. Lord, that's what we want to do is live it in a way that's pleasing to you, that we'll hear those words, good and faithful servant. And all God's people said, amen. Well, picking up this idea, again, one another, one another. For Christians, for believers, um, we are to love one another. In fact, that, that phrase, love one another, is at least a dozen times in the New Testament. Love one another. It's hard to love someone that's unloving. Would you agree? Yeah. But there's no exceptions. We are to love one another. And that's what we're going to learn is we need to even bear one another's burdens. But love is that key. Love is important. Love is the mark of, of really of a Christian. Not only does it say love one another in, in, the, in the scriptures, it says that we are to pray for one another. I'm not going to have you hold up your hands, but how often do you really pray for another believer in this congregation? For the missionaries, for the other congregations, for the work of the Lord. Yeah, we can pray generically, but when God puts someone on your heart and my heart, we're to pray specifically just for them. God's sharing his heart and saying, you know what? This person is going through a battle. This person's going through a struggle. So many times God has put someone on my heart. I pray for them and call, and I find out that they're going through a spiritual battle. Well, we're to love one another. We're to pray for one another. We're to edify one another or build one another up. Now, I'm to esteem others higher than myself, so I'm going to be building into the life of other believers. That's where we get that idea that we're to deny ourselves, pick up our cross, follow him daily. And it means that sometimes I'm going to edify some people, build them up, some that are going to hurt me, some that are going to mock me, some that are going to reject me, slander me. But because I love one another, I'm going to press on. Now, we'll learn that there are places that sometimes we have to put healthy boundaries up, safe boundaries to protect ourselves, because sometimes you can't help somebody who doesn't want help. You've understood that, I'm sure. Well, not only are we to love one another, pray for one another, edify one another, but to prefer one another. Prefer one, put, it, put another person before yourself. Well, in, in, in First Peter uh, chapter 4, verse 9, we're to use hospitality for one another. What does that mean? That means that we're to invite one another over. Guess what, guys? My schedule's open. I haven't been invited over. Invite me over. No, I'm just joking. But that's what it means is that you're to open up your lives, to spend time with one another, whether it's in your house, whether it's for coffee, whether it's for lunch, it's going to the park, it's spending time. These are some of the things that make us different than the rest of the world. All of these things, by the way, will flow out of a heart of love. Now, I think that all of us, you're probably like me, we need to pray, God, increase my love. Help me to love as you would love. You cannot love anyone until you've received the love of God. Every day, we need to sit at his feet and receive that love. 
And this is what, again, that, that Paul is dealing with these legalizers who are robbing the joy, finding fault with others, sin sniffing, as I mentioned, fault finding. They're looking for it, and that's what they're doing. So when we come to this passage, let us not become vainglorious, uh, vainglorious of one another, or one another provoking one another, or envying one another. It's a little translation that's hard for me the way it words it. But he's talking about pride. Pride will prevent you from esteeming others higher. Pride will cause you to condemn and talk down to people, find fault with them. If you're in this place of pride, you cannot come along a sinning brother and help build him up, help restore him. And that's what we're going to see. And and Paul gives in our text these practical exhortations. And it always begins with humility. That means that I'm going to think less of myself and more of others. In fact, it actually goes further than that because I'm not even going to think about myself. That's what we do when we deny ourselves. I'm not concerned about myself. I'm concerned about one thing, the glory of God. That's where he would have us be. And that's not what the Galatians were because they were self-centered. They were worried about having everybody live up to their standards. They were marking notches on their belt in a sense. And that's not God's way. His his ways are higher than our ways. So again, I'm going to read now the New American Standard. In verse 26, it says, Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. Now, he's just talked about love. See, but yet sometimes you can teach on love, but the people haven't caught it. I'm going to ask you a question. Don't hold up your hands. Have you caught it? There's one thing that you and I need to know above all things, that is that we are to love one another. Love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love one another. That's it. All the commandments, again, are accumulated in that one thing. If you love God, you love others, you will fulfill the law as the scripture says. But if we're not loving We haven't got it. And he's going to show us what love looks like when we're dealing with a a brother and we want to restore him, and it could be a sister, restore them, that sinning brother or sister, getting them back on that right track. Because that's really God's heart. See, sin is a reality in every Christian's life. Yet I talk to many Christians, and they'll say, I don't sin. I don't need to confess my sins. Jesus died on the cross. The fact is, we do need to confess our sins because when we sin now, we break that fellowship. We have salvation. We know where we're going, but that fellowship is broken. And when we say that we don't need to confess our sins and God's made that provision, go on in that passage and it talks about we make him a liar if we say we have no sin. Well, 1 John 1, 8 says, if we say we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves. And the truth is not in us. Everyone sins. 
We have to accept that, that every one of us here are going to sin. But see, the Galatians had a hard time because they, they had come to this point of perfection and it was trying to keep the laws if they could keep the law and they were condemning and finding fault with everyone. Again, James 3, 2 says, for we all stumble in many ways. Have you stumbled this week? I have, not just over walking. Oh, spiritually walking. Because our minds drift and thoughts come in and we can entertain those thoughts. We may not lash out with anger, but yet we can let anger burn in our minds and our hearts. Yeah. Ephesians 6.11 says, put on the full armor of God so that you'll not be able to, that you'll be able to stand, excuse me, firm against the schemes of the devil. See, the devil wants to put these thoughts in your mind. He wants to stumble you. He wants to to rob you of your identity, knowing who you are in Christ. And God has so much more for you than sometimes we really want. We just say, it's hard. Have you ever said that? I don't want to do it, it's just hard. I, I just don't have the energy. But you know, you can do all things in Christ who strengthens you. We actually should say it the other way, that we we can do all things in Christ who strengthens me and make it personal. Because that's what we are to be doing. We can do whatever God calls us to do. Not only does he call us to do these things, but he empowers us and gives us the desires. So when those desires come, we have to suppress it. Again, uh, James 1.14 says, each one is tempted when he's carried away and enticed by his own lust. Sin comes really as you follow the passage in James, you look more in detail. Sin comes from within us. I can't blame it on him. I can't blame it on her. It's right here. It dwells in me, in that old man, that old nature. So when the enemy is trying to rob me of my identity, rob me of who I am, say God looks at you and, and you know, how could he be pleased with you? And a lot of people just say, I give up. I'm going to be honest. I've said I'd give up. For about two minutes and the Lord convicts me. You know how that works? He says, no, you're not going to give up because I have done, I have completed that work of the cross, but I will finish the work in you. I'm so happy that I'm his workmanship because it doesn't depend upon my effort, my energy, Yet that was what was being taught by the Galatians. It's it's all about what they are doing and not about the Lord's work. Well, again, James 1.21 says this, therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains in wickedness and humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. It begins by getting in the word and letting the word cleanse us, purify us. It's renewing our minds when we get in the word. Faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of God. Again, we saw what the deeds of the flesh are. Well, those are just naturally come, spontaneous. Has anyone ever done anything and you just kind of lash out quickly? Anger, you don't like what they did? Those are deeds of the flesh. But again, The fruit of the Spirit is love. 
And one of the things I love is this, it's patient. It's patient, it's long-suffering. It just doesn't react. And sometimes people, they, they, they get impatient, they lash out, and, and they never even confess that sin. They never deal with it. That's just how I am. It's my chemical, or you know, they come up with all kinds of excuses. No, that's how we choose to be if that's what we want. We'll either choose to live in the flesh or we'll choose to live in the spirit. Now again, the scripture makes it clear that all of us will stumble, but we're talking about habitually doing these things. Sin affects yourself, first of all. It affects your relationship with God and it affects the relationship with others in the long term. Sometimes you don't see it right away. Sin also, understand this, weakens your anticipation for the Lord's coming. Now, I would ask the question, how many are looking for the Lord to come today? And every hand would go up. But it's a really good question. Are you looking for the Lord to come today? Could today be that day? Could this be the very last day you ever have an opportunity to share the gospel with another person? The last opportunity to say, I love you to someone that you've been angry at for years. And to be honest, I could go on with that list and and all of us will struggle on that list somewhere. If this is the last day and we really believe it, we will live differently. But see, if I have habitual sin in my life, the deeds of the flesh that we're talking about, then I'm not gonna be looking for the Lord to come. Are there some things that you do in your life that that you really don't want the Lord to come at that time? I've thought of some things in my life. I wouldn't want the Lord coming back if I were watching a particular show. If I were going to a particular place, I were having a particular thought in my mind or having a fight with my wife, who is my sister in the Lord. See, you're either in the spirit or you're in the flesh. You're either walking in the spirit or you're walking in the flesh. You are not constantly walking in the spirit perfectly, got it all together. I remember one time I was very mad at my daughter. Anyone ever been mad at their kids? You understand that? And, and, and I wanted to be mad. And my daughter was wanting forgiveness. We all have these moments. Hopefully less of these because we learn to walk in the spirit. 1 John 2.28 says, Now little children abide in him so that when he appears that we may have confidence and not shrink away from him or, or from him in shame of his coming. You know, what it's saying is some people will be ashamed at his coming. Now, if you would again go on in in 1 John chapter 3, we learn again in the very beginning, it's a purifying doctrine for that one that's looking for the return of the Lord. 
Because if you know the Lord's coming, you're, you're getting your life together. You don't want to be doing these things. That's the contrast. The deeds of the flesh. Some will be ashamed. They'll be saved. Some will have that, maybe that tinge of smoke. They'll, the smells are going to heaven. And, and some will be purified because they have been looking for the Lord's coming. Just like a wedding, and you know, you, you're going to get married and, and you're, you're going to get dressed up. You're going to take a shower this week, okay, and you get, get ready, all the things and, and prepare. You're going to have your gifts, your offerings, whatever you're going to do. You're prepared. We too should be preparing. That's the life that we should be living, ready to meet the Lord anytime, anywhere. 2 Timothy 2.21 says, Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from these things, he will be a vessel of honor, sanctified, useful for the master, prepared for every good work. That's what we are to do is cleanse, prepare these vessels for the meeting of the Lord. And these vessels is what God wants to flow through. He wants to fill us up. Again, 1 John, as I mentioned, chapter 3, verse 2 and 3, it says, Beloved, now we are children of God. It has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we'll see him just as he is. And everyone who has his hope fixed upon him purifies himself just as he is pure. Have you ever thought about what it's gonna be like to meet Jesus face to face that day he calls us home? Will it be exciting I mean, just really exciting or will you be ashamed? See, it's important where you're at in your walk, if you're in the spirit or you're walking in the flesh, and it's going to be the same thing that if we are to restore a sinning brother, this is what I'm leading up to, is we need to be in the spirits in order to help someone else grow. Again, Philippians 2, 1 and 4 says this, Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there's any fellowship of spirit and affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfish or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look on, look out for your own personal interests, but the interests of others. This is the life of a Christian. These are important traits. This is how the mature Christian lives. The mature Christian will not put his own interest above others. This is really the test. How am I doing? Am I doing good? Because then I'm going to be esteeming others higher than myself. If it's not, then you're not walking in the spirit. You're walking in the flesh. Again, thinking of this important thing that, that if we're going to be helping restore a sinful brother, unless we're walking in the spirit, walking again in love, where the fruit of the spirit, love is manifest. 
we can't really help anyone. We can't really restore them. And that's what we're going to see. In fact, there is no greater damage to the church than a self-righteous person who is condescending and looking down and again fault-finding. One that is marked without love, professing to be a believer, but really is living a hypocritical lifestyle. Are there any hypocrites here today? Thou shalt not lie. There's a little hypocrisy in all of us here. But I want to give you four traits before we really jump in. Four things that that seem to be obvious. There is a, a worldly hypocrite, a worldly hypocrite. That's in Matthew 23, verse 5. But they do all their deeds to be noticed by men, for they broaden their flactories, lengthen their tassels on their garments. Basically, they were doing things to be seen. When the Pharisees and Sadducees would give, or the the spiritual men of that time, they would put their coins in, they would put it into a box. And you know that expression, toot the horn, you toot your own horn. They would call attention to themselves, so everybody would see, put their coin in, giving to the poor. That's the worldly hypocrite. There's a legal hypocrite. Romans 10.3 reminds us of that. For not knowing about God's righteousness. Notice again. For not knowing about God's righteousness. Seeking to establish their own. They did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. See the legal hypocrite is trying to live by the law. And you can't live by the law. The law only points you to Christ. He's the only one that can save you. When you decide to trust and look in to him. Well, there's an evangelical hypocrite. And that's in Matthew 13, 20. The one whom the seed was sown on the rocky places. This is the man who hears the word, immediately receives it with joy. A sinner's prayer will not save you. Only faith in a faithful God who will keep you until that day when you trust completely in him. Well, there's an enthusiastic hypocrite, 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen. No wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. See, he disguises himself, okay, this is important, and he's all enthusiastic about, again, what God is doing, but in reality, wheat and tares grow side by side to each other. He's the one that makes the greatest noise. He's the one that's at every event. And then one thing happens and he walks away and he never comes back to church. And he wasn't the church. Nothing undermines true righteousness more than self-righteousness. Trusting in self. Now the Christian's first responsibility above all is, is personal holiness. Personal holiness. Now the church, that's not something that is often taught sometimes. Be holy as I'm holy. Anyone holy here? I'm working on it. In the power of the spirit that is. Holy means completeness. We also can say that we're set apart for him. But that idea of holiness and purity. That's what the church is. To be holy is he's holy. We're his holy vessels, cleanse, cleanse, wash with the water of the word where we confess our sins. Positionally, you are holy. Practically, 
We're still working out our salvation in fear and trembling for it is God who is at work in us. He's the one that will change us and transform us. But we're learning. We're learning as Ephesians 5 says in 11. It says, do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them for it is a disgraceful even to speak of such things which are done by them in secret. It doesn't doesn't mean just gossip. Sin must be confronted. Notice again, don't participate, don't practice these things. This is important to understand, but expose them. Now that doesn't mean, again, go and gossip about, oh, do you know what so-and-so did? No, it's not saying that. No, again, expose them, and it's important to understand, sometimes we have to confront people in love. Confront people and love. I use the illustration Thursday. We were a very similar passage. If I'm to go to someone, it's kind of hard for me to go to you because you're down there and I'm up here. But the idea I want to express is if I'm to go to someone, I need to get down on my knees. I need to be praying in my heart. And I need to, when I come to someone in a sense, in a spiritual sense, be looking up to them. See, this is the attitude of humility looking up to a person If I do not go down to my knees, I do not pray, I do not seek wisdom, I do not take the log out of my eye first, then I will be coming down upon someone. This is so important. The responsibility first is, again, holiness and purity in our personal lives, but also in the church. But then we are to go to others, and how we approach them is so important. We go in love. We go in humility. We don't go in condemnation. And the whole goal is to restore a fallen brother, a brother who has stumbled. Titus says in 2.15, notice this, these things speak, exhort, reprove with all authority and let no one disregard you. Now, he's speaking to Titus, but these words are true, not just to a leader of church, but I'm gonna say to every spiritual person. What is a spiritual person? One who is walking in the spirit where love is being manifest. That's a spiritual person. No, it's your walk. Are you walking in love? Are you esteeming others higher than yourself? Are you showing hospitality, tenderness, compassion, these things? Well, when do I confront someone? That's really the question. Sometimes people confront people and, and they just hear say, they've heard some gossip. Well, I'll go talk to him. No. That isn't how the scripture works. That isn't how Jesus did it. In fact, the scripture in the Old Testament teaches, unless there's two or three witnesses, don't bring an accusation. How many times have you gone to someone or heard something and you find out it's not true, and yet you thought the most evil, wicked things in your mind and condemnation? Let me tell you, if you were, you weren't in the spirit. And yet we're quick to judge others. I'll tell you the sin that is in my life. My sin will look worse on you than it does on me. You notice how that works in your life? We've all experienced that. We know that. We're quick to point the finger at others. There's no room. We don't go to somebody just because of assumption, just because something doesn't look right in, in the picture. 
No, no. If we do go, and when we do go, it's to restore them in love. To get them back on that, that right track. Now, one of the first ones that we need to deal with in, in every church, everybody, in, in every group congregation around, because we have these, it shows up in Titus 3.10, reject a factious man after the first and second warning, knowing that such a man is perverted and is sinning and being self-condemned. There is a man, now understand this is important, that word factious, it actually comes from the root heretic. That's where we get our word heretic, but it also means one who causes division. We've all known divisive people that are just gossiping, causing trouble, saying things just to get a reaction from someone. That's the person that says, reject that factious man. Warn him first. Warn him once. Warn him twice. The fact that he doesn't hear, uh, we're going to set this person apart. Why? Because he's perverted, he's sinning, and he's being self-condemned. 2 Thessalonians 3, 6 says this, Now we command you, brethren, that the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from every brother who leads an unruly life, not according to the tradition which you've received from us. Now that person who is walking in the flesh that we're to step back from, it's a form of discipline. Step back from, don't hang out, don't spend all your energy in with him. Don't practice the things because that's what's gonna happen you start hanging out. You're gonna be saying the same things, doing the same thing. So what you do is to keep away from that person that's leading this unruly life. And he gives the example, notice, not according to the tradition which you receive from us. Now, people build whole doctrines out of traditions. What were the traditions? First of all, if you go to 1 Corinthians later, chapter 15, verses one through eight is one of those examples. Traditions is about the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's it. The good news of who Jesus Christ is and why he came, that he died upon the cross for our sins. He was raised on the third day, seen by even 500 people. That's the message that we have. The traditions, it is about Jesus Christ. It's just referring simply to the teaching, the apostles' doctrine that they kept on the day of Pentecost. Acts 2.42. That's the traditions. That's what was being taught from home to home. That's what's important. 1 Peter 4.17 reminds us the judgment is to begin in the household of God. Wow. Maybe I won't come to church, some say. No, we need to be the church. You would not allow someone to live in your house with your family that's causing problems, would you? You wouldn't allow someone that if your family is clean and not on drugs, you wouldn't allow someone who is on drugs to practice drugs and live in your house or to do something immoral in your house. You would, you would have to get them out. And this is the same thing. These were the things that were happening in the, in the Galatian church. Paul admonishes the Galatian church to take special care and to discipline right away because they had allowed these false teachers, these heretics in. They were teaching things that were traditions that were not traditions at all. They were traditions of men, as the scripture talks about. They were boastful. They were challenging, challenging one another. They were envying one another. This is very important because it's not just to top off this again, the fruit of the Spirit. It's leading in 
to restoring that sinning brother. Every one of us have a brother or a sister that's sinning or what they might call backsliding. Well, again, look with me now in chapter 6, verse 1. What do we do? We're to lift him up. Lift him up. Verse 1 says, brethren, even if any of you are caught in a trespass, you are spiritual. Restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you too may not be tempted. That idea, again, even if anyone is caught in a trespass, this is a person that, that wasn't going out. He wasn't premeditating sin. He just didn't fall in it. He actually had to make a choice. But he was in a situation that was, the temptation was so overwhelming. He was just going down, walking, doing his thing. And all of a sudden, he's caught up in it. There's a difference between the one that plans and plots sin, that continually thinks on evil, or plans adultery, or some form of immorality or theft. He's not talking about, he's talking about the one who was caught. And he's actually talking about one who was caught even in the act. Even the act, like the woman in chapter 8 of John, caught in the midst of adultery. She was, again, manipulated, entrapped. Where was the guy? But they wanted to use her as a pawn. She was caught. And it's the same idea, caught into trespass. Notice again, it says, you who are spiritual. The one who's walking in the spirit. The one that's manifesting that love. Restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness. Now notice this is not going to the, necessarily the leaders of the church. It's going to the congregation, the saints. Each one of us have this responsibility if we're in the situation to come. If we're in the spirit, the mature one. Notice how? To restore a person in the spirit of gentleness. Gentleness comes when I humble myself, when I get down and esteem someone higher than myself. When I check my motives that I, I want to speak to someone, do I really want to see them restored? And each one looking to yourself so that you will not be tempted. You know, it's real hard when you begin to to sit with someone, you begin to deal with a sin in their life that, that you might sin and just in anger, you might sin in, in various ways, but simply the main thing, act unloving, be kind, because sometimes when a person is in sin, they don't want to deal with it, and sometimes they'll react, and, and you know, if someone punches you, what do you do? You, you're going to punch them back. Well, sometimes you may fall into that same sin. You may say, well, let me help you up, and as you hear all the juicies, you go and get involved. You know, you can sin listening to other people's sin. Do you know what I mean? Because your mind is being filled up. There's things you don't want to know. You want to be there for people if people need to confess their sin. But just to be there, just to listen to sin, that alone is enough to cause you to sin. First responsibility, again, it's a spiritual believer. He seeks to restore the fallen brother. How? In gentleness. When a person stumbles, the first thing he needs to do is really to, to get up, get back up, and point it back to Jesus. How? In gentleness. In gentleness of spirit. And that's so important. We, we need to help them spiritually get up, morally get up. 
But how we do it is so, so important with the words, with our thoughts. We need to help them. We need to encourage them as well as rebuke them. And now when I'm talking about rebuke, it's not coming down nasty. You need to acknowledge their sin. And they need to acknowledge their sin. They need to confess that sin. You need to encourage them to confess it, not just to that person, but confess it to God. They need to turn around and repent. They need to set up those healthy boundaries. And that's so important. So here's a man, this is important if we're gonna go to, who's actually caught in sin, physically caught in sin. It was a man who wasn't plotting sin. You know for sure there's, that he's in sin, there's no question. You don't go to the person that is just assumption. Just because it's some gossip because you'll cause more problems and you will send yourself. Now, it's a man and, and it could be a woman and, and flirt with sin. How many have flirted with sin? Oh, I, you know, somebody else is gonna have the struggle, but I'm really very, very good at this. Gail Irwin talked about the story of going to the store and he has a problem eating ice cream and he, and he says, well, I'm gonna show that ice cream. Then it's not going to tempt me. I'm gonna walk by it and the next thing he knows, he puts it in there. Well, I'm just gonna show this ice cream. I can take it home, put it in my freezer and I won't even eat it. You know, that's how we kind of do and then pretty soon we're justifying, we're gonna eat it, but I can only eat a small amount. You, you see, that's how we fall back into those situations we have confidence in our flesh. Every one of us struggle with confidence in our flesh. If you run out of the house and you have not prayed, you have confidence in your flesh. If I start my Bible studies and I have not prayed, I have confidence in my flesh. God, I don't need you. I can do this. I've got all my resources. I got the Bible. No, I need you. It's really easy because we get busy, we get pulled away. Well, again, who are these spiritual believers? Please understand, they're the ones that are walking the Spirit. It's those that are lives are controlled by the Spirit. It's those that are manifesting this Spirit of love. Not in the flesh. Romans 15:1 says this, Now we who are strong ought to bear the weakness of those without strength, not just please ourselves. I'm to bear the weakness of someone else? I got enough problems in my own life. Anyone else can say that same thing? No. But see, when I begin doing what the scripture says, when I begin bearing someone else's weakness and I'm lifting them up and I'm praying for them, I find that I'm also building myself up in Christ because I'm in prayer, I'm needing him. Spiritual believers, again, in 1 Thessalonians 5.14, uh, it says this, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, and help the weak and be patient with everyone. How many want to just go out and just to really restore someone today? How many want to just go out and confront someone today? No, exit stage right. That's not natural for us. But you know what? God has called us to do this. If you see a brother in sin, a brother in need and you walk away, where is the love? Where is the love? That's the mark of a believer. That's the mark of one that's walking in the spirit. 
So we need to help people identify their, their sin, confess their sin, repent of their sin, get right with God. But at the same time, Matthew 7, 1 says this, do not judge so that they will not be judged. You know, judge not lest you be judged with the same manner that you'll be judged. That's a person who's in the flesh. That's why he puts it in there versus the one who's in the spirit. We're not to act as a judge. Judge in this sense is condemnation. The only way that you and I ever judge is to discern and lift and build up people. James 4, 11, 12. I'm only gonna read a part of it. Do not speak against one another, brethren. And yet that's what the Galatians were doing. Again, James is writing the same thing. That's what they were doing. It's happening in every church. People speak against one another. In this study, I was so convicted. So convicted. I'm telling my wife something as we're out for a walk and, and, and she's getting frustrated with me. I said, no, 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 I, I, I'm just trying to say it was convicting to me and I realized I'm not gonna say anything unless it's helpful, it's necessary, it's kind, it's loving. Boy, that stops a lot of conversations, doesn't it? Because oftentimes we provoke and cause all kinds of things. And sometimes Christians are very cruel. I've heard people that are unbelievers say, you know, Christians are cruel. Have you ever heard that? Yeah, I'm not gonna go back to church. I've been crushed. The most wonderful thing when a person comes into church, all of us are, have sinned. When you come in and they get in the word and you see them growing, they're just gonna continue to change because they're in the word and they want to hear. We don't have to deal with every sin, but there's some sins that we need to deal with. And that's what he's going to show us as we go through. And when we do, how do we deal with it? And that's important. Now, remember this, Luke 9, 56 says this, for the son of man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. Can I read that again? The son of man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And that's how we are to deal with one another. The goal is to save and build up and lift up people in the Lord. We care about their salvation. We care about their walk. We care about them glorifying God, not to crush them, not to destroy them. Because I've seen so many people just destroy and crush and leave people permanently damaged. That's not restoring us, a sinning brother or sister. No. But oftentimes that's what the world says. Well, look at verse two, we need to bear them up. Bear one another's burdens, therefore fulfill the law of Christ. What is that law of Christ? It's a law of love. Bear one another's burdens. Verse three says, for if anyone thinks he is something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. Well, the second responsibility of a spiritual believer is, is seek to restore a fallen brother. Again, that we're to bear one another's burdens. And that's so important that we, we need to catch. It's not enough just to, to turn him away from sin. No. And leave him alone. No, it's to bear. It, it, sometimes some temptations are just so unbearable. If someone has been doing something for year after year after year after year, it just doesn't go away. You have to walk it out with them. You, you bear it with them daily. You're there to be accountable with them. You pray with them. You go through the word with them. Well, that idea of bearing really is carrying a, a really endurance, a heavy amount, heavy loads, difficult to, to carry. 
there's a song that really says it all. It's done by the Hollies. He ain't heavy. He's my brother. One more time. He ain't heavy. He's my brother. Your brother, your sister, if you love them, they are not heavy. If there's one thing that you get today, that's it. Catch it. He ain't heavy. To carry a burden? No, it's no burden. Love covers a multitude of sins. Love carries. Love's concerned. Love will deny itself. Love will esteem others higher than itself. Start singing that song. Thought about doing it in church. I didn't have anybody to do it this week. Could have maybe asked you, Kent, but you know that idea that is so important is if we catch that point and live it, that's what Christianity is all about, is living a life of love. So when we see a brother, we see a, a sister in sin, that we go to them because we love them, we care about them. When they look into our eyes, they know that we really care. We're not coming in condemnation. We want their relationship to be right with God. We want it to be right with everyone else. We don't want them to miss anything. And when you come to a person like that and you know they really care, you can't be angry at them. You might be ashamed of your choices. But you'll receive it. Now there's an important thing when when you want to carry someone's burdens. You want to be there for them. Sometimes people don't let you. You ever notice that? They just don't let you. But you make yourself available. You pray. And you keep trusting God to open the door. James 5.16 says something that most of you will cringe when I, I say this. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so you may be healed. And the effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Okay, we're gonna stop there. Turn to everyone and confess your sins to everybody right now. No, everybody's out of here, right? But you know, this idea that we are to confess our sins if you're struggling with someone, that you need someone close, someone who really cares, that you say, you know what, I've got this struggle, this temptation's, unbearable and, and that you begin to, to bear this burden and you help them set up those boundaries and you're there and, and, and you've got your go bag when you need to go help them and be there with them. And you're truly concerned and you will deny yourself. But sometimes people won't let you help them. And they'll return back to the same place again and again and again. But at some point, I'm going to tell you, they will come to the end of themselves. They'll go through things that they shouldn't have to, didn't need to, if they'd only turn and let someone else bear those burdens with them. To walk side by side them. But sometimes they know they've fallen, but they feel prideful. And the people around them sometimes make them feel less or that they're superior. But I like what Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty eight and 30. It says, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden 
is light. And that's the pattern that you and I follow. Come. Can you tell someone come to me and they're not going to feel disgraced or shamed? But they know that, that again, that, that if they say something to you, it won't go anyplace else. They know that you truly care and that you will lift them up. See, this is the model that Jesus does. In fact, is when they come to you that you're really coming to Jesus and Jesus is gonna carry you. While it's a salvation verse, it also tells us the certain principle about Jesus. He wants to bear those burdens. And that's what we do is bring them into the presence of Jesus. That's how we bear the burdens. Look with me in verse four. We need to build them up. But each one is to examine his own work and then he will have reason for boasting in regard to himself alone, not to regard to another. For each one is to bear his own load, and the one taught the word is to share all good things with the one who teaches him. Now, what do you mean build up? Build up. Again, in in verse four, it says each one is to examine his own work, and then he will have reason for boasting that boasting is in Christ. See, when I examine my motives, my heart, my actions, and I can see I fall short so often. But then I have boasting because I know that Jesus is on the throne and Jesus is carrying me. I then can point people and I can lift them up. I can be honest and I can be transparent with the person I'm wanting to build up. You know, it's so important to, to share with someone, I've been down that path. I understand. If you've lost a, a wife, a husband, and I can't understand because I've never lost my wife. I've, but, but that point is I can't understand. But if you spoke to someone else who's been in that situation, you look them in the eye, you know they know. They don't even have to say anything, do they? You can just wrap your arms around each other. You can love them. You have to recognize that you're a sinner first before you can ever build anyone else up. You have to recognize that capacity is in my life that I can be a failure and I need then to boast of the Lord. The Lord is the one that has kept me all of these years. And as I begin to share my testimony, I can build someone up and help them to recognize God will sustain them and keep them just as he's kept you and me. For each one is to bear his own load. Verse five, and then it goes on. The one who taught the word is to share all good things with him who teaches him. Remember the heart of the passage is restoration. That's the context. And I believe what it's saying here again, the one who has taught the word is to share all good things with the one who teaches him. And I believe really the word is really sharing heart to heart, sharing a testimony how God is using that person. That God has been faithful You are an instrument. You are a vessel of God in my life. And there's an encouragement to that person who is bearing that burden to continue down that path. There's no greater joy, I don't think, after you see a person come to salvation than seeing a person who has fallen restore and know that you are a part of it, that God used you. Isn't that amazing? Next to salvation, that God could use us? And I believe this is really, I I can't give enough words because of the time, but the idea is that we're to share. Share our very life and self with another. It's not about money. Some try and teach it as as money. Well, the pastor was, you know, he was, there's nothing in the scripture that says that doesn't line up with Paul at all. 
No, it's sharing one's heart and one's testimony because of the words, because of God's word, because of God's love in you. It has made a difference. One story, and then I'll close. When I became a believer, I used to go happy hour during the season. I'd have my Dos Equis. I love stuffed chilies they had at this one restaurant. And you know, they serve you all this food, and I really went for the stuffed chilies. But then when I became a, a believer, I didn't want to drink. Not condemning anyone to drinks, I just didn't want to drink. I drank as much as I wanted, none. But I decided I wasn't gonna go to this happy hour because I didn't want to be in this place because the conversations weren't going the place I wanted to go. It wasn't the lifestyle I chose anymore. And I had two friends that used to go. They were alcoholics. And when I was born again and I stopped going, those two over a period of time stopped drinking because of what was done in my own actions. When I realized later on, God, you used me and I didn't even know it. That's the best part. And I think it's along that same line that God wants to use you and me to restore a brother. Kindness, to encourage you, to encourage them, to get back on that right track. So if we are to restore a sinning brother, it needs to be a spiritual one, who, one who walks in the spirit, where the fruit of the spirit is manifest. That's love. When we, mani- when we, we minister to them, when we look to, to restore them, it's in a spirit of gentleness. We're going to lift them up. We're going to pick them up out of the mire. We're going to hold them up. We're going to continue to walk down that path with them. And then we need to build one another up in the Lord because that's the way God has made it. Now the question is, did you get it? He's my brother. He's not heavy, he's my brother. That'll give you the mark whether you have the love in your heart. That's my prayer, that you'd be willing to lay down your life Pick up your cross and follow Jesus because this is the life that Jesus came. He didn't come to destroy. He came to save it. And God wants you to impact the lives of others. Father, thank you again for your grace, your word that is so uh, relevant today. It's timeless. And Lord, we love you and we thank you for all that you've done and all that you will do. We thank you for the opportunities to minister to our brothers, to our sisters. And we do pray, pray for the body of Christ, Lord, that you would strengthen them, that you would lift them up, help them to be everything that you would have them be. Glorify yourself in this church, in the body of Christ, universal. And all God's people said, amen.